morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at RCC. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm happy that you're here. I guess I'm going to start this morning with a, a couple of confessions. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip at the end. There was a Wisconsin player draining the jump shot at the end of the video. Who saw that? All right. Um, did anyone see uh, the game a couple weeks ago where they just got blowed out? Were you heartbroken by it? I was so disappointed. I got to confess today that I think it's my fault they lost. Um, I'm pretty sure. Jan and I were traveling. And, um, you know, traveling's a busy day and stuff. I kind of forgot about the game being on. We got into the room, and, and uh, I wanted to check my phone for email. So I'm checking email, and I saw a thing from ESPN pop up, and it had the Badger score. And at the time, there was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes left in the game, and they were down by four. It's like, oh, the Badger game's on. I forgot. And, and so I went into this little bit of a panic because I don't know how to operate all the TV stuff and everything at someplace else. It's always strange. Janet's super smart. She always figures it out. So I'm like, come on, get the game on, get the game on, get the game on, get the game on. And she gets it on. And they're like, like I said, down by like four. And then they basically never scored again. So I'm watching, and the other team goes like 20 straight points. And as it got close to 20, I'm thinking, this is all my fault. They were doing great until I turned it on. So then I'm like, well, get it off, get it off, get it off. So if it's my fault, I apologize. The Badgers had a great season. I think we've been spoiled. Um, when I was young, the Badgers were always horrible, so now they're always some version of good. They're either like amazingly good or pretty good. They're always good. So I think they still had a great season, even though it kind of ended on a sour note. That's confession number one. Confession number two, I'm exceptionally distracted this morning. There's this red door on stage. It's driving me crazy. Um, I am severely like ADD, so to have that over there, I can't stop thinking about the red door. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome. The middle school has, has their big musical coming up, and it's amazing. They let us share the stage and everything. So thank you to all the people that are so flexible and allow us to do this here at the high school. It's amazing. So I'm not complaining there's a door on stage. I actually think it's kind of cool there's a door on stage, and it's cool there's going to be a musical here as well. But, man, all I can think about as I look at this red door on stage, I, just, I wish I, I was going to walk through it, and I was afraid I was going to break it, so I didn't walk through it. But, like, I could have walked through it. You know, it had been like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood at church. Wouldn't that have been fun? How does, that, how does this song go? Won't, won't you be my neighbor? Like, how does, right? And he walks in, he, and the sad thing is, like, he walks in, he puts on a sweater just like this, and then he, and he puts on slippers. I'd like to put on some slippers this morning, so I'm so distracted. The only thing, though, growing up, I don't know, maybe you were the same, I was always kind of afraid of that show, because um, the puppets. Yes? Is anyone else? There's those little freaky wooden-headed puppets? So I, I never really wanted to watch because the puppets, but... So anyways, if I, if I slide into Mr. Rogers' talk today, I apologize. It's the door that's getting me. We're in the middle of this series that we're calling Match, March Madness. And last week, Pastor Sam taught, and he, he taught about parenting. And, and frankly, I came in thinking, you know, I've been a parent 22 years. Sam's been a parent like seven years. I, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to learn from Sam in parenting. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I, he did a really, really good job teaching straight from the Bible. So if you missed it and you're a parent... I recommend go to the church website, go listen online, go to YouTube. Uh, you, can, you can do a podcast now of the sermons. We offer that. So if you missed it and you're a parent, you should, you should listen in because I've been a parent 22 years and I got something from it. I, I hope that you can too because parenting is a really tough job, right? Speaking of tough jobs, uh, this March Madness series that continues today, I'm talking about jobs today. I'm talking about work. It's all about how work can drive you crazy or, or better yet, how work shouldn't drive you crazy how you can find more meaning at your job. As you sit here this morning, you probably feel a certain way about your job. If you think of work right now, um, as you look at what you do every day, whether it's in a classroom or boardroom or laundry room, wherever it is, school, wherever it is, you have a certain feeling about your job. Some people 
feel it's kind of like a prison, right? You go in on Monday morning, they clang the door shut, and, and you're stuck in prison until Friday when you get out. You just hate your job right now. There's other people with the exact opposite feeling. They love where they work. Work's their favorite place to be. They would work for free. They like their job so much. They'd rather be there than anywhere else. I tease the staff at church a little bit about that. Here's us at, at working, supposedly. It's the guys and then the ladies plus me in tug-of-war. And uh, guys stink. The ladies plus me beat the dudes at tug-of-war. That's them having fun at work, so don't worry. They're not going to be paid this week because they have too much fun at work. Speaking of that, I don't know if you saw in the video beforehand, Natasha, if the sermon gets boring, you know, think about inviting a friend. Tasha's not getting paid this week either. (laughs) And then there's a lot of people in the middle, right? You don't love work. You don't hate work. It's work. You understand you're getting paid. That's why you're there. You're there because you're getting paid. It's a mixed bag. There's good days. There's bad days. You know, work is okay, but a week at the beach will be better. There's a lot of us, you know, in that group. But no matter what group you're in, whether you're loving it right now or hating it right now, biblically speaking, there's more to your job than than just the work, than than just the job you're doing. There's more happening there than just the work. So today we're going to talk about how you can better define yourself at work. And that has to start with your focus. What's your focus at work? Well, consider this. Here's what the Bible says it should be. It's from the book of Colossians. It says, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So what the Bible is saying is that even at work, we should be focused on God. Even at school, whether you're a teacher or a student, we should be focused on God. And I know what you might be thinking right now. Mike, you're a doofus. You work at a church, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course you can focus on God. But more of my work life was spent not working at a church than at church. So I totally remember what it's like to work other places. You're thinking, well, you know what? Tomorrow morning I get there, the rat race starts all over again. If I'm not on point, I'm going to get an F or my boss is going to fire me or whatever it is. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. You should go to work tomorrow and work hard. The verse in Colossians says you should work hard. But it's also saying that there's more to it than just the work you do. So you should reconsider, first of all, reconsider what your main job is at work. There's this story in the Bible about two sisters. And, and they're having Jesus and some others over for lunch, and, and it really dramatizes what the Bible is saying here. You see, there's this one sister who pretty much is able to relax and just enjoy Jesus' company. She's enjoying the moment. And then there's this other sister that's getting all the work done. She, she feels it's her responsibility to make every detail go right. And she's running around taking care of everything. She's working super hard. She wants everyone else to work super hard too. And she kind of gets frustrated when they're not. Maybe that sounds similar to work for you sometimes. Let me read it to you. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him, him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. So starting out, are you more like a Mary or are you more like a Martha? Like when there's a big thing going on, are you super concerned about the details and making sure everything goes okay and you're working your butt off? Is that, is that more you? Raise your hand. I'm not going to make you clean something. Don't worry. All right, and then how many of you are more like a Mary, where you could, you could kind of sit and relax and enjoy the moment? 
Well, just like last service, we have more Marthas than Marys. I'm more of a Martha, too. The details would get to me. I'd want to be sure everything was going right. So God, or Jesus, talks to Martha. He says, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus didn't tell Martha the work that she was doing was bad. He He didn't give her a hard time for working hard. The Bible commends hard work. It's okay to work hard at your job. But Jesus wanted her to think beyond just the work itself. And I want you to think beyond just the work itself. There's more. And sometimes when I read this story, I wonder, how, how could she have been so distracted? If you think about it, right? Like there's a lot of details and all the people and all, you know, all this stuff. I can picture that. I've been at a lot of events. But Jesus was in the next room. Jesus. Like how, how could she have been so distracted? I think maybe she was afraid of, if she sat and listened, if she tuned in. She might hear something from Jesus. In in her work, her details were almost more of a defense mechanism for her. I think they can be. I think they can be for us. Like, sorry, Jesus, just so busy, can't can't really listen in now. i got a lot of responsibilities. i got a lot of stuff i got to do. I can't really be listening to you right now. I think it's a great defense mechanism. It's a a great excuse. You know, maybe she just didn't really want to consider what he was saying. Maybe sometimes we don't want to consider what he's saying. It's human. Maybe all the details at work are keeping you from seeing that Jesus can be at work with you too. Jesus is willing to come to work with you too, whether it's at a place of business or it's in a kitchen or it's in a school, doesn't matter. Jesus is willing to go there with you. So try this. Start thinking about being Jesus' representative at work or at school and see if that doesn't bring more meaning to your work. You can touch those you work with like no one else can. God can use you at your place of work. Essentially, you're the pastor there. If you look at what a pastor is supposed to do, I know I have that title here at church, but any, anyone can do pastor work. You're the pastor where you work. If people know you're a Christian, they're watching. It's just, that's just, you know, that's the way it is. If people know you're a Christian person, they're watching. So your attitude towards Jesus means everything, but only if your attitude to your coworkers is good. So you have to check yourself out. Can, can the people that you work with or that you go to school with or in your classroom, do, do they see anything different about you because of your faith? Because how you treat them is their barometer of your faith in Jesus. They're saying that's what being a follower of Jesus really means, and they're judging it based on how you treat them. You know, over the years at RCC, a a whole bunch of people have been in and out of my office, and they always notice something, and they talk about it quite a bit. Um, I have this king-size special dark chocolate bar on a bookshelf in my office. And there's a story behind it. There's a story why it's there. It's been there for 16 and a half years. When I was a teacher, I worked for many years at this one school, and we had an amazing school secretary. I don't know how much you know about schools, but school secretary is a really, really tough job. There's a ton of stuff going on in the office all the time. And they kind of know everything about every. A good school secretary knows everything about everything. They can help the principal one minute. They can help a little kid the next minute. They, they can do it all. And there's a lot going on. Phone calls coming. It's a tough job. Very busy job. Lots of details. That's a school secretary. Lots of responsibilities. So we had this school secretary that I worked with for 12 years. And um, she would oftentimes have a, like a bowl of candy on her desk for teachers. You could take one, and it was always like a selection of those Hershey chocolate bars, those little ones, like Mr. Good Bar or Crackle or whatever. Um, they were always in a bowl, and you could take one. 
However, she knew I liked special darks. So when she put the chocolates out, she wouldn't put any special darks out. She would keep those in her desk drawer and didn't put them out for everyone. And then if she noticed I was having a bad day, you know, because some days aren't that great when you're working. It's just how it is. I would come down to the office and get some stuff from my office mailbox, and she'd have, like, one of those little special darks in there just to, just to make my day a little nicer. And it always did, number one, because I like special darks. Number two, because it was just nice that she noticed and was thinking of me enough to, to put a chocolate in, in my little box. So on my last day there, when I left to come to Ripon to plant the church, she got me one of those giant ones. And she's, you know, she kind of made a joke of, I'm not going to be around, so you're probably going to need a big one. You know, you should go ahead and eat this on your first bad day at the church. But I couldn't, right? I couldn't. I, I wanted to save it. So it's been on my shelf all these years. So here's a person in the midst of her job, very busy job, very difficult job, was able to brighten my day a whole bunch of times over 12 years. And even now, 16 years later, from the shelf in my office, I still think of her and how kind she was to me at work. She was just a coworker. She didn't work for me. She, she wasn't my boss. She was just a coworker. But she made so many days better because she served me. The funny part of it is, is I actually have two of them now. You may not know this, but I don't know how many, 12 or 13 years ago, um, we started the thrift store and food pantry, and the church founded it. And then one of the first choices I made was I hired Amy Polash to run it. And, and then another choice I made after that was to stay out of her way because she's really, really good. So she, she's amazingly good. I've, I've only barely helped her a little bit over the years, even though I've been president of the place for many years. And so she technically worked for me. I hired her and you know, paid her and all that junk. But she also would bring me dark chocolate and then brought me one of those giant ones. So there's someone working for me, my employee, making every day better just by little acts of kindness. So you can be the boss, you can be a coworker, you can do it for your boss, but you can serve people at work. Your job is more than just the details. Everyone has lots of details at their job. It doesn't matter what the title is. Everyone works hard at their job, and it's very demanding. But you can serve other people while you do it. Jesus talks about this with his disciples. This is how we can learn it. Here it is. He talks about working together. This is what Jesus says. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. That was Jesus' response to a little fight. You had um, James and John and their mother kind of arguing over, bickering over who's going to sit next to Jesus in heaven. And all trying to one-up each other and you know, be, be the leader. Jesus steps in and says, being a servant to other people is what impresses me. That's what you should be thinking about at work. And here's the cool thing about the Bible. The apostles, or really all the people in it, they screw up just like we do. They're just regular people. So they do some really, really good things. They do some really stupid things. They're just regular people. But the beauty is, when they screw up, and God or Jesus corrects them, you can see the correction without having to do the screw-up yourself. It's awesome. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been on the, on the highway and there's a crazy driver that just blows by you and, and you're maybe even a little bit ticked about it. And then you get a little further down the road and the police have pulled them over. And it's kind of fun. Like you kind of look out your window as them and you just drive by like, oh, that's what you got for going 90, you know, or whatever. But it's nice because they got caught before you did, Right? Like, they got the, the pullover and probably a ticket and all that stuff. And then you're reminded, oh, yeah, i, I got to slow down. i got to be a little bit more careful. So you didn't have to pay the punishment for maybe speeding a little bit. Someone else had to. Well, the Bible is full of crazy drivers. 
People do all this crazy stuff in the Bible, and then you see afterwards, how do they interact with God? How do they interact with Jesus? What does Jesus say about these crazy actions? Does he forgive them? Does he teach them? What does he do? So it's amazing we can see all these stories in the Bible. Whether you're giving orders at a business or taking orders at a business, never stop serving. That's what Jesus is teaching them. Because that attitude, that servant attitude, can make any job more meaningful. There's more happening there than just the job details. So whatever job you have, you can make serving the other people there your main ambition. Serve the people you work with, take an interest in their life. And it's amazing how an interest in other people can transform any job, can make it so much more meaningful to be there, no matter what the circumstance. Wherever you are, you can find significance, you can find importance, you can find meaning in your job. You can find impact in your job. And I think that's what we all want. We all want to make some impact in the world. Sometimes I think we wonder, you know, why God might have us in a certain job. God, why am I working here? Why am I having to do this? It might not be the job. It might be the people. You might be there because of the people that you interact with there. For the impact that you can have on their lives, for the impact they can have on your life, maybe. Speaking of impact, speaking about significance, speaking about importance, speaking about power, guys, I have one for you. This is for the guys right now. I, I think men, we, we struggle with this more than women. I think men, we really like to be powerful. We like to have power. right? If, if you look at movies guys like, or video games, or whatever it is, guys are more tempted by power than women are. If you want to have more power, guys, at work, at home, anywhere that you go, just give an honest compliment once in a while. Just don't make stuff up. But if you see something being done well, say something about it. We're awful at this, guys. A lot of times I think we, we think it in our head. You can see someone do something really well. You could even be impressed by someone's effort, you know, whatever it might be. And you're walking away thinking, wow, they did a really good job. Say it. Just say it to them. It's such a simple thing. You can do this. It's such a simple thing. But there's so much power in a sincere compliment. You have the power to turn someone's whole day around tomorrow at work. You have the power to say something to someone and change their whole day. Wouldn't you like to be that powerful? You could be. Just with an honest compliment. If you see it and you like it, say something. I have one more point for you this morning. This is, this is for men and women, guys and girls. This is for everybody. When it comes to school, when it comes to jobs, I think we're often defined by our resume, right? We're, we're trying to build a resume. You're trying to get a certain grade point and go to a certain school or take a certain class or, or perform certain tasks and put it all on a resume. We become defined by our resumes or, or by the work that we do at, at work or at school. But I, I learned a, a great lesson about this on my first day as a teacher. When I was going to college, Milwaukee Public Schools had this program. Um, if you kept a certain grade point in college and then participated in these certain activities that they had you do, you were guaranteed a job when you graduated college. And when I was in school, it was really hard to get a teaching job. There was hundreds of applicants for, for a teaching job back then. It's changed now. And I was a little nervous. Like, maybe, maybe it'll be real tough to get a job. I should get in this program. And so I kept up my grade point, and, and, and I did the tasks you had to do, these seminars and things you had to do. And so when I graduated, they had to give me a job. There was a contract. And it was great because it took me four and a half years to graduate. So I graduated in January. And, and day after graduation, Monday came, 
And uh, there wasn't a job yet. But they had to pay me because of the contract. So there I am, like 22, going, this is awesome. I get to stay in the apartment. They got to pay me. This is the smartest thing I ever did. This amazing. I wonder how long this is going to last. Didn't last long. Milwaukee is a giant school district, so there's lots and lots of schools, lots and lots of teachers. So like the next day, I think it was two days later, they, they called up and said, okay, we have your job. I'm like, okay, great. Um, where? And they told me it was a place called Cass Street School, which is in downtown Milwaukee. And uh, it's like, okay. And Cass Street School is a K-8 to school. I'm like, what grade? It's a one-two, first, second grade split. Well, that, that's not me. Right? They called the wrong guy. Like, I, at the time, I was a high school basketball coach, so I was very comfortable with older children. My student teaching was in a six through eight situation, my, but my certification went down to first grade. So I could teach first grade. I'd never even been in a first grade classroom since first grade. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, no, no, I, I don't want that. I, I, I don't want that. And like, you got a contract. <laughs> so for two days, it was great. Then it stunk. So, like, you're going to Castries School and you're teaching first and second grade if you want a job. Well, I wanted a job. So I showed up. And I get to Castries School the first day. And uh, it turns out that my classroom was being painted, so my class was in the library the first day, which is right next to my class. Okay, fine. I go in the library. And it was, like, the worst scene from a movie you've ever seen. The kids are, like, all over, first and second graders, climbing on stuff, jumping off tables. It's a freak show. So I walk in, and the librarian's there waiting on me, you know, because I had to go to the office first and sign some junk or whatever. So I got there, maybe in there for 20 minutes before I got there. So I get there, I'm like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this. I had this briefcase. Uh, my parents gave me a really nice briefcase and a really nice pen for graduation. So I get to the desk. It's the librarian's desk. Put the briefcase on the desk. Stand in front of the desk and begin to get the children under control, right? Get them under control. Get them under control. They're harder to control than the high school basketball players I was coaching. But I got them. Got them all under control. They're all sitting down at a table looking at me. Great. I won, I thought. One of the little kids comes up and says, I'll just make up a name, Johnny stole my car. I'm like, oh, come on, man. I've been here three minutes. Johnny stole your car, really? Yeah, Johnny stole my car. Johnny, come on up here. Johnny comes up. I'm like, empty out your pockets. So Johnny emptied out his first pocket. There's nothing in it. I'm like, yeah, you're seven, man. I know you got two pockets. Empty the other pocket. He thought he tricked me. And, and so then he opens the other pocket, and he had tricked me because not only does the little Hot Wheel fall out, so does my pen. <laughs> yeah. I was never within a, further than three feet from my briefcase the whole time. And my briefcase was sitting on the desk, standing up, closed. So I still, to this day, all these years later, have no idea how that little bugger stole my pen. But he did. So I snatched it back. I'm like, you little crumb. And I snatched it back from him. It was horrible. It was horrible. So at the time, I was engaged to my wife, Janet. And I called her up at lunch. And I said, listen. And there, there were no cell phones, right? So I had to go in the school office and whisper, um, I'm quitting after this day. I, I cannot do this. This is insane. And uh, she goes, oh, you know, she's real nice. And uh, I get through the rest of the day. And I go in the principal's office. As soon as the day's over, I'm, ready, I'm quitting. Right? I go on in. He's like, sit down. I sit down, super nice guy, much, much older than me, very nice man. And uh, he tells me the story of this classroom. Um, they had been through, I think, I think I was their seventh teacher by January. One person quit. He went to this, the classroom was next to the library. So he went into the library, asked the librarian to watch the kids while he went to the bathroom. 
and he never came back. <laughs> True. This is not an exaggeration. That ended his career, right? How are you ever going to get a teaching job if you pull something like that, right? So that's how bad it was. He's like, you know, they've been th- you're the seventh teacher. I know that you don't want first, second grade split, so I'll make you a deal. Super nice guy, very intelligent man. He said, and I trusted him. He said, if you can, if you can stick this year out for me, I will get you any job you want in the Milwaukee Public Schools next year. I've been around for 20 years. There's a million openings. You can have your pick of all the openings next year. Deal, right? Like, that's an amazing deal. It's like, okay, I can teach anywhere I want. Do it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, deal. And I totally trusted him. And I'm like, oh, I'm tough. I can handle these little kids, right? So I go back the next day. And uh, now we're in my classroom, right? So we're back in the classroom. I, I go down, like, I don't know if you remember school, but, like, you know, kids line up outside, you know, in a line to come into school. My kids are out there. I go get them. I walk them up the stairs. It's second floor. We go up to this, it's a hundred and some year old building. We go into my classroom. I open the door, and, and I stand at the door. You know, good morning, good morning, good morning. They all come through, and they go in the classroom, and then they take off. Because they could run through the classroom, and at the back of the classroom, there was another door that went out to a coat room, like 100-year-old school, if you can picture. Maybe you've seen this when you were young. So it went into a coat room. They ran through the coat room, through the coat room door, back to the hallway, down the hallway, down the stairs, and out the door. Half of my kids. So I'm seeing this happen, like, oh, no. And I run to the window and rest. There's a heater in front of the window, like those old schools. And I rest on the heater, and I'm looking out the window. And sure enough, there they come out the door. And they run down the street. I'm afraid to call the office. What, what, do, you, what do you say? Like, I, I lost the class? <laughs> and it was only like half of them, so like maybe I could fake it. You know, I don't know. And, but I'm like, oh, all right, I got to call the office. So I go, there's a little button on the wall where you push to get the office. And it's like loudspeaker. So I push the button, and the principal comes on, yes. I, I just lost half the class. They're, they're running down the street. And I'm thinking he's going to say, well, you're fired, right? He goes, don't worry about it. Just keep the other kids in the room and everything will be fine. Really? Okay. So I I pushed a bookcase in front of the back door of the room. And I stood in front of the other door so I could keep them all in the room. It was horrible. So that's like 8 a.m. by noon. I'm calling Janet from the office again. I'm quitting. I don't care what job he can get me. I don't even want a job anymore. I'm out. I had no clue it would be like this, right? That's me at lunch. And, and again, I'm like 22, I thought a tough guy, high school basketball coach, all that stuff. So for me to do this was very out of character. It's like, they beat me, I can't handle it. I go back, and the kids are in the room after lunch, and I'm literally sitting at my desk with my eyes closed and my head in my hands like this, right? When I used, I used to even have hair. And I probably rubbed it all off that day. And, and so I'm sitting there like that, right, at my desk, and that little kid, the little bugger who stole my pen, comes up to me and says, he puts his hands on the front of my desk and leans in, We'll get you to quit. We got them all to quit. He's like seven. That's the only reason I stayed. There was no seven-year-old that was going to get me to quit my job. And I, and I stayed. But from that kid, from that situation, I was instantly put into this position where I had to figure out how I felt about this career. I had worked really hard to become a teacher, was super excited about being a teacher, and after just two days on the job, I realized all the education, all the experience, all the practice, the resume, it could all go out the window in a second. It could have been over just like that, never to teach again. 
I learned that, that resumes and job stuff, that kind of success, would never be enough for me. Through that naughty little kid, God helped me realize that my job or, or the title of my job was never going to define me as a person. Success or lack of success was never going to define who I really am. You know, we, we see this dude missing a dunk. He's an amazing basketball player. That doesn't, I'm sure he felt horrible about that, right? Embarrassed? It doesn't define him. Later, many years later for me, actually, I learned from the Apostle Paul what should define us as people. The Apostle Paul was this guy in the Bible that, he was a big shot, right? Amazing educational credentials, job title, community prominence, all of it. But when he met Jesus, he was no longer defined by his resume. This is what he says. This is Paul. I once thought these things were so very important, all the job stuff, all the titles, all of it, education. I thought it was so very important. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So let me ask you a question. Do you realize that your worth is more than your work? Do you realize that you're more than what you do? Whatever it is that you do. Wherever you work, you're more than that. You're more than an employee. You're more than an amazing manager. You're more than a wonderful mom. You're more than that. You're not just a mom. You're not just a manager. You're more than that to God. And that's countercultural in our world. It's going to be hard to convince you of this, I know, because if, if a group of guys gets together for the first time, within five minutes, you know what everyone else does. That's just that's like the opening conversation, right? What do you do? What do you do? I, I've seen it so many times, and I've seen how it changes just in the group. I started college pre-med, and when I went from pre-med to change my major to education, when you talk to people and met them out somewhere, like a bar or wherever, it was a totally different response. I had no clue that, that even existed until for, I said pre-med for a while, and I said education for a while. The response was completely different. It's, it's even more so in jobs. I was a teacher for many years, so I got used to telling people, I'm a teacher, and then you have a conversation. Then you start telling people you're a pastor. Oh, that's horrible. That's, that's like the biggest party killer ever. No one wants to hang out with the pastor. So I've seen it in my own life. Just, just whatever your education or your job title is, whatever, I can see all the time how it changes people's perceptions. And... and Honestly, ladies, I, I think you have it even worse than guys with this. I think women have it worse because I think for women, no matter what it is, I think our world can be set up where women just can't win. Right? Someone can ask a woman, like, oh, what do you do? And, and the woman could say, oh, I'm an accountant. And the other person says, oh, that's nice, an accountant, great. So you work outside the home, do you? Basically saying, like, oh, you're poor children. Or you can flip it. You, you could ask a woman, what do you do? And she would say, oh, I'm a homemaker. And the person would say, oh, that's nice. It must be great not to have to work, right? I've seen it. I've seen it with my own wife. I, I see how people respond. And, and there's just some judgment sometimes based on whatever you say that you do. People can be judgy, and a lot of times you can't win. Ladies, because of that, I have a special gift for you today. Check out this little video. I need this GED. We can't live on Randy's salary. Please don't make me go home. I hate my kids. But I love being a mom. I'm blessed. So blessed. You laugh because you felt that, right? <laughs> That's from a movie called uh, Night School, if you're interested. Is your work who you are? 
Is that who you are? Or, or let me ask you another way. If you dropped out of school or, or quit your job, who would you be then? Would, would you still be you? Who would you be if you didn't have the job? Who are you then? And I know you could tell me, listen, Mike, I've spent all of my adult years being defined by what I do. So if I'm not defined by what I do, how should I be defined then? And it's a great question. It's an honest question. Well, I I would say, first of all, that you are not defined by what you do. I would say that the Bible says, from God, in Scripture, the Bible says, your love for God, your love for other people, is what should define you. Here it is. It's Jesus speaking. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. But I know you've probably heard that verse many times before. But when it comes to work, I think we forget it. We get to work in the busyness and the stress and all the details. We, we just forget about it. But enjoying your job more begins with realizing the job stuff is job stuff. And a personal relationship with Jesus can make all the difference at work. It can bring you joy at work for you and for other people. In John chapter 13, the the Bible talks about how people should know we're Christians by the way we love other people. That's how people know. That's how people know you're a, a follower of Jesus, by the way you care for others. Here at church, we have this thing, hopefully you know it, maybe you're, you're newer and you don't, but we have the everybody's. We have six things that we want everybody at RCC to be able to do. And one of them is invites. One of them is invites. So, um, like Tasha said earlier, if the sermon's boring and, and you thought of some people to invite for Easter, does anyone have Easter people yet? Raise your hands. You're afraid to admit the sermon was boring to me? Is that it? Okay, so sometime before you leave, you've got to think about who you want to invite to Easter. But that's a great way to invite. You can take Easter invites. You can invite all your coworkers, and it can be fun. They can enjoy a really nice service on Easter. That could be a great thing. But there's more to inviting than just inviting to church. That's one way to invite. You can invite people to have faith in Jesus just by how you treat them. They see you're a Christian person. They see the way you treat other people, and they want that in their own lives. You don't have to read them the Bible. You don't have to tell them what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. You can just show them by treating them well. That's a way to invite. You're inviting people to faith. You're inviting people into God's family because you're treating them so well. It's so powerful. If you want to be powerful, go be powerful then. You'll see them in heaven for eternity because of what you've done. That's power. A lot of times people think, oh, you know, i got to go really, really far away to go on a mission trip. Go to work tomorrow. That's your mission trip. You don't got to go far away to go on a mission trip. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches the exact opposite. You should start where you are. You shouldn't go far away until you can do a mission trip where you are. So go, to, go home today and go on a mission trip. Love somebody really well at home today. Love someone really well at work tomorrow. One of the customers. Just treat them better than you ever should have. That's your mission trip. You can do this. Are you ready to bring Jesus to work with you? That's the question. Are you ready to consider having a new purpose at work? In addition to all the other purposes. I know you've got a lot of work to do. But you can remember, in the back of your mind, the whole time, you're there to represent your faith. And maybe if everything else goes wrong at work that day, you can treat someone well and know that you still had an important impact. So if you're ready for that, if you're ready to bring your faith to work with you, 
I'm going to say a prayer for you. And I'm going to ask God to bless you and help you be confident enough and energetic enough to make that happen this week. So if you'd like that, you can bow your heads and I'll ask God to bless you in that way. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're with us wherever we go. Thank you that you trust us to represent you, even though we're so far from perfect. God, what I ask for each person here who's praying right now is that you would bless them with extra energy this week, with extra confidence. Help them, Lord, be great representatives of you and of their faith. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.